take our Bibles this afternoon, I'd like to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> I'd like to read the latter part of the, of the chapter. The whole chapter is really about the importance of the resurrection. Uh, in verses 3 and 4 it speaks of the gospel itself, that Christ died, He was buried and rose again for our sins. But I'd like to go to the latter part of this, the consequence, if you will, of the victory that we have through Christ, beginning in verse 51 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory." O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, forasmuch as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And may God add a special blessing to the reading of His Word. And let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father, once again, we come before you asking you now to take the Word, to partake it to our needs, to who we are, to the depths of our very being. And Father, that our minds would be open to you and the message from the Word. Father, you'll accomplish that exclusively through the Holy Spirit, who we pray to take control of the Word and to guide us into all truth. Thank you again for the moments we have together here to praise, to uplift, and worship your name. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Resurrection Sunday, <clears throat> uh, what a challenge. What a challenge that the week would have led up to, Passion Week. Uh, quickly, we'll just, just parlay that for a moment. But uh, if, you think, if you remember, and then when we were studying in Mark, it was a rather extended journey that we took through that gospel. But the last week of Jesus' life, he arrives in Bethany on a Saturday. He visits his friends of Lazarus and Martha and Mary. Um, that was a family that, my goodness, would have been very welcome to see him once again, because just a week or two previous to that, Lazarus had died. He had died. And both the sisters said, you know, when Jesus finally shows up, right? Finally, right? Have you ever had those needs of yours that... Where was God? Where is he? He seems so late. And if Mary and Martha would have ever thought there was someone late, it would have been Jesus coming to the tomb of their brother, and he was already dead four days. It seems insurmountable. It seems beyond. And Mary ran out to meet him. Jesus, if you would have only been here, you could have healed him. Jesus must have had a wry smile because there was something a lot bigger coming. And... I can't, you can tell I'm, I'm gonna, that rabbit I could chase around for a while, but we're going to keep moving. But literally, he spoke and said, Lazarus, come forth. A man that was dead for four days came out living. That was the buzz that was around Jerusalem. On that Saturday as he came to Bethany, they heard, because this is Passover. This is the week of the celebration of the time in which all of Israel had been gathered literally from all over the country. There probably would have been close to a million people that would have been in this city, Jerusalem, 
to celebrate the Passover. The Passover was that time when literally as they, the Israelites were drawn out of the land of Egypt, uh, they would have taken a lamb's blood and put it on the doorpost and the angel of death would have passed over. Jesus Christ was that picture. He was the one that literally they would have saw in advance of that. Today, he's described for us as our Passover. But on that day, they came out to see who this Jesus was, the one that had healed Lazarus. And on Monday, that next day, they made him king. Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth, they made him king. He rode through the city of Jerusalem, and it was amazing it was amazing how much adoration they gave to this one called Jesus. And then it fell apart. Fast. Really fast. In fact, I'm sure all of the Jews would have gathered, what is our king going to do tomorrow morning? He's going to go into the downtown Roman, Roman entourage, and we're going to start knocking Romans out, and we're going to have the kingdom, and everything's going to be fantastic, and Israel's on top of the world, finally, as it's talked about in the Old Testament Scriptures, and I'm as excited as I can make it without you guys getting more excited, right? Oh. And you know what happened next morning? He went into the temple. And he started throwing stuff out. Because it had become a place of merchandising. You see, that Passover, it was a good place to buy and sell things. Because if you came from a long ways away, you would have probably come with a Passover lamb. But the priests that were in cahoots with the religious leaders said, Oh, I'm sorry. Little Harry the Lamb's not going to be qualified for this event. But, 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 we've got the perfect lamb here for you. But we'll trade too, because we know we'll just do this. So Harry went back into the pen until the next unsuspecting victim would have come up and they assured him that but Harry was good enough for that family. Jesus had had enough. He cleansed the temple, as it says, on the day that probably they thought the Romans were going to leave. Wow, talk about stir the pot. It got ugly. The religious leaders had had enough of this Jesus. They had had enough for quite a while already. He'd been in ministry for three years. He, this isn't the first time he'd cleansed the temple. He'd done it at the beginning in John chapter 2, the beginning of his ministry, and now he's done it again. Ah, he is making some serious people at high elevations really ticked off. Fast forward it to Thursday night. He was gathered with his disciples in the upper room at Jerusalem. It would be the last time that they would have a meal together. It would be the last time that they literally would be surrounding themselves with solitude of the master and the disciples. It was an unbelievable night. A lot of the book of John from chapters 14 through, actually it just continues on from there from that very night, is amazing what took place. By that night, one of the 12 disciples, which had fooled everybody else, he was like, you've heard the word hypocrite? This dude was good. He had 11 other disciples completely in the dark. They didn't have any idea. Jesus knew. Jesus knew exactly. He betrayed Jesus into the hands of the Jewish leaders. They ran through three false trials. I say false because they weren't even abided by by law. Well, they found him guilty, 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 but now we've got a problem. We can't kill this Jesus. Now, wait a minute. This is the guy four days earlier was who? King. What has went wrong? You talk about a turn in politics. Well, they can't kill him, and they know they've got to get this Jesus dead because he's not going to be anywhere but problems forever until we get this guy snuffed out. Judas bought in because Jesus wasn't really coming to his conclusion this is just looking bad. He's just not going to take over. I'm not going to get rich. 
Why not? He's got all the power. I've watched him cast out demons. I've watched him heal people. I've watched him literally raise Lazarus from the dead. Why won't he do what he's supposed to do? He sells out Jesus for the price of a slave, three pieces of silver. So they deliver him into the hands of the Romans because they have the right to take life. He goes through three additional trials. This is really, we're fast forwarding pretty quickly. But from Monday, he's claimed king, uh, crowned king, and at 9 o'clock on Friday morning, Jesus Christ is hanging on a cross. Where did it go wrong? What happened? And by 3 o'clock, six hours hanging on a cross, which I'll let your mind take you with the details of a crucifixion. It's the most excruciating, painful death ever known to man. And at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it's dark from noon to 3. Dark. I wonder what that felt like. It's noon. Why is it dark? Well, it was dark because literally God was pouring His wrath on the judgment of sin on His very Son, on Jesus Christ. For three hours, He bore my sin. He bore your sin. He bore the sins of the world that He, guiltless, sinless, took upon Him so that He could literally pay the price. And at 3 o'clock, He said, my favorite words... It is finished. Now we look at that as the end, but no, it was the end of the beginning. Because it started a whole brand new avenue of life. All of those who would trust him are on that avenue of life. But we got a problem now. Because the scriptures, it said not only would he be crucified, in Psalm chapter 16, in fact, the one that gave probably the best sermon on the resurrection, we'll look at it in a moment. It was one we did last week, if you can imagine, talk about God's timing. But in Acts chapter 2, Peter talked about Jesus, this Jesus, whom you've crucified. That's who we're talking about. Who's going to bury him? Now, if you're a common criminal and you're hanging on a cross, guess what? You just get thrown out in the town dump. But God raised up that one, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, which he'd spoken to somewhere previously in his ministry, and raised them up. And Joseph said, you know what? I've got this perfect place. I've got a family sepulcher. I've got one that's not even been used. And I'm still thinking within hours, that's what I need to do. Again, you see God's providence just working. Because Jesus Christ had to be buried because the scripture said he had to be buried. And then three days later, parts of three days, he rose from the dead. I can't, I don't, that's wild, right? I mean, and the angel rolled the rock away. Was it for Jesus to get out? No. It was for Mary to get in, right? Jesus didn't need to have it rolled. What we needed to see wasn't there. And that's the last week, and we told it really quickly, and you're trying to figure out, when we studied Mark, Larry, you took weeks. (laughs) Why couldn't you do it so fast? Because we got other things we got to get to today, right? This Jesus of Nazareth, in fact, on his cross, it said, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, which was really a sarcastic remark. Uh, The religious leader, in fact, Pilate did it. In fact, let's go to, uh, I'm hoping I can find this, uh, let's see, might be in Luke. I'm going to go to Luke for a moment. Uh, Pardon my, I should have written it down. Or not. I'm going to let that go. You're going to have to trust me. Oh, that. see, you're laughing about that, aren't you? 
But Pilate said before the people, he said, what do you want me to do with this Jesus? Is it? I was in 22. Maybe that's where I got it. Okay, let's try that. That would even be better. 2338. There it is. That's, he says, the king of the Jews. A superscription was written over him in the letters of the Greek and the Latin and the Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And, and Pilate put that on. Or, but part of it was the reason. He said, what do you want me to do with this Jesus who is your Christ? Now, Christ to a Jew meant a big word. We say Jesus Christ and we just say it, right? It just flows off our tongue. It doesn't mean any more than Jesus is Jesus Christ, right? To a Jew, you throw the word Christ out there. You've said something pretty big. That's the same as Messiah. That's the anointed one. That would be the one that would be coming from the Davidic line. It's the one that really pointed to everything that the Messiah needed to be. And he, Pilate, not even knowing, said, what do you want me to do with this Jesus whom you call the Christ? Oh, man, you talk about buzz up the religious leaders. That would have taken them to a new level. But he was called Jesus the Christ. Now, what I want to get you to is I've painted for you the crucifixion. Jesus. He was born Jesus, wasn't he? In fact, they were told to call him Emmanuel. That's a big word that means God with us. That's a heavy statement. Think of this for a moment. This Christ, whom we call Jesus, and Peter says it in chapter 2 of Acts, this Jesus whom you crucified. He's speaking to Jews. Think of this. That Jesus is the creator. Let that soak in for a moment. This Jesus, who is the Christ, is the creator. Wait a minute. You mean this, let's back it up, and he's a child in a manger? In fact, is there a little baby here today that you hold? That was Jesus, who was the creator. Now that, my friends, is humility. That's spoken of in Philippians. He humbled himself even to the likeness of men. The creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's a verse that just goes whoosh. Have you ever thought about how big the creation is? You look at that sun, right? Every day. (laughs) I'm liking it better all the time. (laughs) You know how far away that is? 93 million miles. Now, I don't know if somebody can show me. I'm going to play a little bit because uh, the expanse, and I'm doing this because literally this, chi- this, this creator who was born a child became crucified, and the crucified one literally died for us. The creator died for you. That's where I really want you to go. <clears throat> but if you have two circles, and somebody tell me when I need to be nine inches apart. How about that? Close enough? Is anybody not going to go with that? <laughs> Close enough. Okay. That, if we, if we would use this, this would be represented on our board right now of the distance between the sun and the earth. Okay. That's 93 million miles. Now, at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second, that's getting after it. That's pretty fast. It takes about seven and a half minutes for light to get from the sun to the earth at that speed. 186,000 miles per second. Seven and a half to eight minutes. The only reason I'm saying both, I'm not sure. It's one or the other. (laughs) Anyway, that's pretty fast. 
So whatever I'm, eight minutes ago, the light that was at the sun is now here at that speed. Got it? (laughs) Now, I want to ask you on the scale we have here of nine inches between the sun and the earth, how far would we have to go out to plant our diagram on our diagram at the same scale to the first and closest star alpha centauri this is going to hurt your head now this is the closest star it would be 40 miles off the board that's the closest star second closest star Oh, true, the sun is our close. Thank you for bringing me in. <laughs> Woo, I almost got a second. Wait a minute. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The sun, our planet. Thank you for clearing that up. It would be the second closest star, Alpha Centauri. It is four and a half light years away. What is a light year? It's traveling at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second for 24 hours a day for four and a half years. Then you've gotten from here to the next closest star. It's thought, now again, I, I have no idea, but the, the observable universe, which would be through the eyes of the largest, most amazing teles- telescopes that we would have, the diameter of the universe is thought to be 93 million light years. Hello, big. <laughs> And then it even gets more magnanimous is when you think of, you go down to the smallest particles. Take an atom made of three parts. And if you start to study it, even scientists, the physicists, can't really figure out what keeps it from blowing up. They call it the nuclear glue. I'm going to tell you what it is. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. It's Colossians chapter 1, and let's take a quick look. Colossians chapter 1. And verse 16. In fact, what we should do is I want to go back to 14 because this ties in beautifully the who Jesus Christ is. Verse 13 of chapter 1 says, Who, this is God, hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us, transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. In whom? So now we know in whom is the son. This is Jesus Christ. We have redemption that's purchased through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, which is the problem. Who, verse 15, is the image of the invisible God. He's the very image. He is God, the firstborn, not in time, but in priority of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven. Did you see that? We now see Jesus is the creator. Visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him, watch now, by him all things consist the reason that we have the laws of gravity. We have all of these laws that we can literally move into space and go to the moon and do all the things because it's fixed laws. And Jesus Christ holds that together. Ah, how's your head? That's a big God. 
Do you know how big the sun is? You could take 1.2 million Earths and stuff it inside. That's our sun. And that's a small star. One of the smallest that we know of. That's right. It is. You're exactly right. It's actually very small, isn't it, in regards to stars? I think that's far enough, isn't it? (laughs) Creation. It's magnificent. It's stupendously complicated. And anyone says that evolution, nothing plus time equals everything? (laughs) Wrong. Wrong. So our Christ was not only crucified, our Christ was the creator. If we, just, if we just soaked on that for the rest of the day and the year and the eternity, that's beyond my wildest imagination to understand the love of that nature. If I had that much power and mankind came to my garden and they spit in my face and did exactly what I didn't let, want them to do, I think I'd just start over. Isn't that what we do with Play-Doh? You just say, oh, that's no good. Ask my, ask my little grandkids, right? They just start over. Not God. In fact, there's a plan from the very beginning. I'd like to see it, see it in your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1, verses, verses 4 of Ephesians 1. It says this, according as he hath chosen us. Who's us? He's speaking. Paul is writing to the saints, those that have trusted Christ, those that are set apart for Christ in Ephesus. He says, according as he, God, hath chosen us in him, Jesus Christ. When did he do that? After Adam sinned? Before the foundation of the world. Ah! That's crazy. So this Jesus, whom you crucified. Let's go to John for a moment. I'd like to go to John chapter 1. And let's look at it from the Apostle John's perspective. John chapter 1. He introduces us in the gospel from, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We know that's Genesis 1.1. But John chapter 1 goes on to say this in verse 1 of 1, 1 of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Ooh, no question. But look at verse 10. This is, this, this is significant. Verse 10, same chapter, John, chapter 1. He, Jesus, the Word, was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. Ha! How could that be? How could that be? Sin had tainted their vision. Satan had disguised, beguiled them, if you will. And yet, in all of the fullness of God dwelled in Him, in Colossians chapter 2. It's interesting. You want to make somebody mad in fear in the religious community, in Jewry particularly, turn to John chapter 8. Jesus could do this, just seemed like a flip of a finger. He was talking about truth, and he was talking about their father and his father, and they weren't getting along real well. And it ends this way, verse 56 
Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Those are Jesus' words. Abraham was looking ahead in faith, seeing Jesus as the Redeemer, not knowing his name, but seeing that that was the way that they would be saved. And he saw it and was glad. Then verse 57, then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not 50 years old, and you're saying you've seen Abraham? Now watch, this will really tick him off. You want to get it done? This is how you do it. Jesus said, Verily, 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 truly, truly, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. They received that one. Look what they did in the next verse. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself, went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Because it wasn't time. It wasn't time. Wow. Christ the Creator, Christ the Child, Christ the Crucified. And it was all part of the plan. It's all part of the plan. In fact, let's go to Acts chapter 2 and we'll see it. Acts chapter 2 and verse 40. Well, well I'm not sure where we're going to go. Acts chapter 2, verse 23, we'll go there. In fact, we'll start in verse 22. He's going to open this up. Peter is. He's preaching, speaking to these Jews at the time of Pentecost, which is crazy new time, right? Because he said, I've got to go so that the Holy Spirit can come. That's a, he said, wait a minute, I want Jesus to stay here. Well, so did his apostles. But you know what guides you in all truth and literally takes up residence within you, dwells within you when you've trusted Christ, is the Holy Spirit. And there, there was a brand new dispensation, a brand new time era. When Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the time we're at, that we're celebrating, the resurrection, 50 days later, the Feast of Pentecost. Again, a big gathering. There was 120, including Jesus' mother, in the upper room. Was it the same place? I don't know. But it was the same city praying for the coming of the Holy Spirit. 120 of them, literally, the Holy Spirit falls on them. That little tongue of fire, which is literally there, was over every one of the 120 to prove that he was there. And they start speaking in languages of those that had gathered from all over the known world. Languages that were known. In fact, that was what was really crazy. If you were a Jew, you would have never heard the wonderful works of God in any language except Hebrew. Or Aramaic if it was in a common language. Never would have been in the language of Cappadocia or whatever else, right? That was crazy. And Peter uses this as an intro to step in and say, let's talk about Jesus. Now look at this, verse 23, 22. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. Boy, he did a lot of that, didn't he? How would you like to have been there... I tell you, there's a lot of events I would have loved to just travel around with Jesus. How about the time he fed 5,000 men, which is probably 20,000 true happy meals? They're not the ones you get down at the Mickey D's. These are the good stuff because Jesus literally made it out of nothing. He had five loaves and two fish, and he made meals for 20,000 people. That's creative. And after that, he said this. This was the sign. I am the bread of life. Aha! After you've got their attention, he said, what? I am the bread of life. That's how he did it. That's his three years of ministry, literally. He was miracles and wonders and signs. You saw that, people, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. He says that. Him, Jesus, being delivered by, oh, watch this now. The determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Now, break that down for a moment. Yes, there were men that were responsible for crucifying Jesus Christ. Pilate was one of those. But do you know God planned that from the very beginning? 
If it wouldn't have been Judas to betray him, someone else would have. Because that's God's fixed, predetermined will. That Jesus Christ would die for my sins. You see, there's always been this battle, this death versus... And if I'm in that equation, death versus Larry, I lose. That's what the Bible says. For the wages of sin is death. And death came upon all men. And that's true, isn't it? Because that's reality. But guess what? When death took on Jesus, he talks about that in the next verse. You have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain him. But look, verse 24. Whom God hath raised up have loosed the pains of death, the stranglehold of death, because it was not possible that, she behold, that he would be holden of it. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say, though, prior to, when you have this great big match in standing, in the right corner is Jesus of Nazareth, and he's taking on the undefeated foe of all time, death, who has never failed, never lost a battle, is completely in control at all times, and Satan uses it as a weapon for everyone else. Now, I'm going to go with death because nobody conquered that right however this time Jesus won and when Jesus won we win because if Jesus lost I would be not here right now there would be no point because it's useless it's painless because there's no hope there in Christianity it's a joke if Jesus had not risen from the dead But he did. And when that battle between death and sin was won by Jesus Christ, when he bore my sins and won, the victory is his. That's what we talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57, right? The victory is ours in Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, that's why for me, I want to look at graves. I don't think Buddha's the answer. He's in the grave. Muhammad's in the grave. They're all in the grave. Now, the Jews, I read that passage in Matthew because the the religious leaders knew. (laughs) If Jesus' body is gone, we've got a problem. And so they paid the Roman soldiers to say that the disciples had come and stolen it. Now, that falls apart totally for us from this perspective. If the disciples were lying and they had stolen the body, and then literally at the end of each one of their lives, 11 of the 12, Judas Iscariot committed suicide. He was remorseful, but he never repented. The other 11, literally, outside of John the, Apostle, John, the, the, John the Apostle, who wrote the last book in the Bible, Revelation, the rest of them died a martyr's death. There's no way that you would get me to stand at the whatever way of martyrdom it takes to take my life if it was over a lie that I had stolen Jesus' body, and I knew that that was the truth. Every one of those apostles stood firm and said, no, that is exactly for Jesus Christ who rose from the dead. I can be with him after this event. Because physical death is no longer the end. That was the greatest battle ever known, was death versus Jesus. And he won. He won. The whole Bible speaks of Jesus from front to back. In the beginning... Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We've looked at that tying Jesus as being God. Look with me to the very end in Revelation chapter 20. We'll start in verse 19. Revelation chapter 19. Look at the strength. This is Jesus coming back because not only is Jesus Christ the child, the crucified, 
the creator, but he's also the crowned king. Uh, Chapter 19, and let's take a look. I saw heaven open, verse 11, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon it was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew that he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Now that sounds like John writing in John 1.1. Oh, same guy. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth forth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress of fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This Christ that was the child, the Christ that was crucified, the Christ that was the creator was also the crowned king. He's coming back again. He is coming back again. He is coming back again. Because he said so. Right? Where are you going to be in all of that? Where are you? Who do you believe that Jesus is? That was a question that Peter asked of them that day. He says this. In fact, let's go to Acts chapter 2 again. And he, he basically says, verse 36, uh, let's go to verse 32. He says that this Jesus hath God raised up, this Jesus of Nazareth, this one you've crucified, whereof we were all witnesses. We saw that. You, you know that to be true. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, again, being exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, which he hath shed this, which you now see and hear. David is not descended in the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord, that's God, and Christ, the Messiah. That is a huge statement. What he's saying to them is, one, they got a problem. They crucified the Messiah. That's a bad deal. You've been looking through him the whole Old Testament, and now Peter has said, you missed him. You killed him. And now he's risen again. Now, what would that mean to you if you killed your Messiah and he's alive? Ooh, <laughs> we're in trouble. Vengeance, probably, he's probably going to wear, bear, bear out vengeance, right? So they have a decision to make. What am I going to do with this Jesus? And Peter lays it out clearly. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Their problem is the same as ours. Sin. Sin has come upon all men. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Thank you for having that there as well as it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That is fantastic news. Literally when we cry out to this Jesus Christ, the one that was the creator, the child, the crucified, and the crowned king. He takes all and everything that you need to be saved. It sounds so simple, but something happened in the Garden of Eden. You see, Adam was created innocent. Not holy, but innocent. He had choices to make. 
much the way we are here today as well, or any place for that matter. God is not interested in robots. If he wanted a robot, he would just put enough pressure on and you would do or say what he wants to say. But that's not the way he is because he loved us without being in a position that he had to. He wants us to be in a position to really respond in love by the way we choose to respond. That's love. You can't force someone to love you. You will love me. You, know, you ever tell the child, I will, you love me. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work with anyone, and nor should it, because that's not the way it works. And to say it any other way is completely foolish, correct? So Adam had to make a choice. And of course, he blamed the woman, because that's what men do, right? And the women are smiling, they know. The blame game started on that day. Oh, Eve, what were you thinking? Adam was right there watching his wife. That's why I, I absolutely believe that. He was there, right there watching his wife. Doesn't matter. Bottom line, they both partook. Sin has entered. Something happened in the throne room of their life. God had been their guide. He had been their confidant. He had been the one, literally, it says, he walked in the afternoon with God. <laughs> I don't know what that's like, but wow. And all of a sudden, they chose self. That's what they did. They opened the throne room of their house inside them. They kicked God out, and they put self inside. And that's standard equipment today. Because it's in sin passed upon all men from Adam. And ever since, self is inside the throne room. That's the part that's hard to get rid of. Have you noticed? I have. And when you trust Christ, it's just like you guys are. There's only one right now that is not trusting in something. And you say, well, who's that? It's me. Everyone else I see is seated in a chair. Everyone. You have trusted that chair with your weight. Most of you did not inspect the chair. You just sat down. Now, faith is only as strong as that in the object that is placed or the validity thereof. See, that's why for me, I wouldn't be here today if Christ hadn't risen from the dead, because I have to have someone I can trust in that's stronger than me, stronger than death. There's only one that's ever beaten that. That's why I put my faith and trust in Christ. That's why the apostles put their faith and trust in Christ, because that's the problem. Thank God the victory was won through Jesus Christ. On that day, when Peter gave that sermon, 3,000 responded. 3,000 Jews. These are the ones that killed Jesus, right? Now, they didn't physically, but you know what? They were part of it. And it's the same for us. You're not in the middle somewhere. You either choose Christ or you refuse Christ. It's your choice. But he's there with open arms. All the love that you could imagine saving you for all eternity from sin. And the decision is yours. What will you do? He paid the price. He won the victory. That's one of the reasons for us that have trusted Christ. Uh, I'd like to go back and we'll just finish here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And the last couple of verses. My father's favorite verse was verse 58 of chapter 15. But I prefer to put 57 and 58 together. It says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, because of that, because of the victory, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, because the resurrection is real. Your life means something when you're working for the Lord because of the resurrection. And one day, one day I will be standing in the face of my Jesus, the one that is wearing the nail prints that I put there. That Jesus, then I'm humbly going to bow before him and say thank you for eternity, able to love and to serve and be with him. That same Jesus is available to everyone. Who will you trust today? Let's pray. Father God, your word, truth. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes on to the Father but by me. It sounds so exclusive. Uh, it is. Because Jesus Christ paid the price. God the Creator became God the Son. God the Son became crucified. And the crucified literally will become king. That king, first of all, is seeking to rule and reign over individual hearts and lives. Because there's the battle. And Father, right now if there's someone here that doesn't know Christ as personal Savior, that in the quietness of their heart they can literally confess their sins and ask Christ to come into their hearts. It doesn't matter how much they've done, how much they haven't done. It doesn't matter their past. It doesn't matter. And none of that matters. Because it's a one-time act and Christ paid for all of the sins. And you become justified. That is to be declared not guilty. <clears throat> By God, not by someone else, by God. Uh, that's as good as it gets. That's the gold standard. And if someone chooses to do that, then they have become new. They have become, as the Bible says, born again. God will begin to do a work within them. Father, we just want to once again thank you for this day, a day we commemorate, to celebrate, to lift up, to behold the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the creator, the child, and the king because of the resurrection. Thank you. In Christ's name.